I'm the president of the Viktor Frankl Institute of Logotherapy South Africa. And the title of our discussion is The Art of Living. It is an exposition actually of the logotherapy of Viktor Frankl and it is addressed in the first instance to our students who are enrolled for our courses and training in logotherapy with the aim of eventually using it in a practical way, either as professionals or lay counsellors or whatever the work they will be doing, but also to you, the viewer, who is kind of fascinated with what we're doing. Most of you know Viktor Frankl through the reading of his book, Man's Search for Meaning. And this is a title that seemed to appeal to people. It actually even surprised Frankl that he wrote more than 31 books, but that this should be the one book that has become so famous and so well-read all over the world. And why? He posed that question himself. And it is, as he says... And as he expounds in his logotherapy, that the deepest motivation in the human breast is a will to meaning. We need to find some purpose in our lives. We want to know that we're living for something or someone. We want to feel that we've got something of worth to give to the world. Without that, we are assailed with feelings of inferiority or, you know, who am I and I don't matter and, you know, anybody can replace me. And we lose our feeling of singularity and uniqueness. And I want to today actually share with you my own story of meeting Viktor Frankl and what impact it had on my life as an inspiration to you, um, also in search of the meaning of your own lives. I had a good enough childhood, but you know, as James Hillman, a postmodern psychoanalyst, put it, I had inside of me what he described, the dissatisfied frustration of unlived life. It is a restlessness which uh, Frankl described as something that urges us to seek and find meaning in our lives. He said, the heart is restless until it has found meaning in life and realized it. It was this restlessness that brought me into a study of psychology. So many of you study psychology because you want to know more about yourself, right? I was trained as a clinical psychologist and did an internship at Tara Hospital in Johannesburg. And of course, I learned a great deal. But the thing that I learned most was with an encounter that I had with a patient called Anne. The psychiatrist at the hospital, at that time at least, had the needle in for the psychologists. Ah, you do healing through talking. I mean, really, we do it for medication and shock treatments and physical interventions in the lives of those who are psychotically disturbed and that you cannot possibly help. 
they try to break my spirit, at least as a psychologist doing an internship there, by sending me what they termed a catatonic schizophrenic. She doesn't speak. She was immobilized. She was like an automaton. You could make her walk. You could make her sit down, but it's like a machine. And she certainly didn't speak. So where's the therapy that I will be doing as a psychologist? But this was my deepest experience of what Frankl said is the essential of logotherapy, the encounter. It's your ability to actually see behind the illness, behind the disturbance, and find the person that is there. There is a person there. This was Frankl's actual mission, he said, to rehumanize psychiatry. That we're not just the definitions or the diagnostic category that are given to us for our disturbance, but that we are far more than that. In fact, it's our interpretation of our malfunctioning minds that causes the psychosis, not the malfunctioning itself. It is when you feel alienated, cut off, abandoned, you cannot live with such feelings. You need to feel bonded. Like he said, human consciousness is intentionally directed. It seeks an object. It must make connection. I often use the analogy of an electric wire with with a plug at the end of it and the light at the other end of it, but that if you do not put it in the electric socket, the light won't go on. The plug can be lying on the ground useless. Only when it makes connection does the electricity flow through and the light come on. That's the connection, the deep connection that you can make as a logotherapist, as anybody that really cares for and works with the mentally handicapped, disabled, malfunctioning person and also those who suffer from all sorts of neurotic disturbances. It's the encounter. The encounter that says somebody is there. Somebody is listening. Somebody is hearing. Somebody is seeing. I am! This is the life-giving factor. So what did I do with Anne? She didn't speak. I sat with her. She was brought to my office every morning at the same time, seated down in the chair opposite me. And we will sit together in silence. But it was a definite kind of silence. It was a silence of togetherness. This is what I transmitted to her. I felt for her. I saw her. I would remark on how well she looked or how beautiful her blue eyes were and would, would draw her attention to a bird outside the window. I was there, enlivening, acknowledging way of her person. And what happened? She started moving. She started moving. First her hands, then her body, and eventually she looked me 
full in the eyes. Eye contact. And she was saying, now I see you. Thank you for seeing me. She, you know, she came so alive that when she was sent home, like she sometimes was to her very dysfunctional family, and especially a very dysfunctional mother who actually kept Anne ill. Because while Anne was ill, while Anne was psychotic, the mother had a feeling of control and she could act kind of normally. But if Anne got well, she was faced with her pathology that she certainly wasn't willing to deal with. And so it happened that the mother had set a beautiful tea table with very expensive tea set on it for her friends, and Anne, as usual, was put in in a corner just to sit there. But that Anne stood up, and she took the beautiful tablecloth, and she gave it a jerk, and all of this very expensive, a fine china broke into thousands of little pieces on the cement floor. And her mother was aghast, you know, and came back to the psychiatrist and said, what's happening to my daughter? She's becoming aggressive, you know. This, uh, Who's been seeing her? So they immediately took her away from me and drugged her to the point that I was not able to even get through to her anymore. And they didn't allow me to see her anyway. And you know, that started this protest in, in me. The same protest that, that was in the heart of Victor Frankl. To, to have a voice to speak to psychiatrists. Frankl actually formulated a new type of mental illness or neurosis. He calls it iotrogenic neurosis caused by psychiatrists when they give a, a diagnosis to a client and tells them you're psychotic. That's it. You're done for. And, or you've got this and that disturbance. You've got this, and, and, and the client goes away feeling nullified. Their, their existence have just been obliterated. They're an illness. They're nothing more than an illness and a life-threatening one at that. So to really counteract that, you know, it's so wonderful when, when our hearts are restless. And I really thought, now I need a voice. I need to be trained in a way that I can speak against this kind of therapy that was happening also in psychology where, you know, people were seen as their neurotic disturbances and their, you know, and how to fix it with a healing program. And where was the person? Where is the encounter? And as I said, you're so wonderful that when you do reach out with such a question to life, it answers you. Frankl said, we're an open vessel. We can be addressed. We can reach out beyond ourselves. We can think further and reach higher and searching for the meaning of our lives, not just simply mindlessly existing or trying to be as happy as we can. You know, there must be something more than just happiness. And this was my experience when what happened? 
I was given a bursary, I won a bursary, to go and study psychoanalysis at the famous Freudian Tavistock Clinic in London, where Freud had his practice. Anna Freud, his daughter, was also involved in a part of the training. And I, again, learned a great deal from psychoanalysis, especially about infancy and childhood development and traumas that can happen or problems that can arise or conflicts that, that can happen that actually has lifelong influences on the development of the person even then in adulthood. But part of the training was also a training analysis where you yourself got to undergo psychoanalysis. And it was in going back and back and back into my childhood problems and trying to work through the trauma and the feelings that I had. And in a certain way, I began to feel this is senseless. I can't resurrect the original situations to go and deal with it. I'm just left with the effects of it. But how do I deal with the effects of it? By going back? You know, I had this kind of a feeling that I was turning my back on life. And the time was passing me by. Life was passing me by. And when was I going to have time to catch up with what I was missing out on now? And I also had the very uncanny feeling that, you know, life comes to us from the future. It comes to us as a call. It beckons us to move forward. It's that ancient call, Adam, where are you? Come out of your shame and hiding. I will close you with a commission to overcome your suffering or whatever problems you have and to help alleviate such suffering in the world. And, you know, it was then that I, in my desperation, wrote to Viktor Frankl. It's strange, you know. <laughs> I was taught his theory as part of my philosophy course in my graduate studies, but I was aiming to become a psychologist. But I took just one book with me that I found in a bookstore in South Africa before I left, called Jesus and Logotherapy. Almost as if I felt, you know, here's a message of a more to life, a kind of an ultimate meaning. You know, I was so dissatisfied. I, I felt I wasn't fully living my life. I wasn't being fully me, right? So I wrote to Frank, and I thought to myself, to Rio, man, you crazy. You know, he was teaching in German and only in Vienna at the time. And yes, of course, he wrote back and said, you will not be able to study here not having a proficiency in German. But now here comes how life met me. I am establishing my first logotherapy training center in the United States of America at the International University outside San Diego. And I invite you to come and train with me there. Wow, what synchronicity, isn't it? The first time when I needed it, it happened. Oh, you know so well. 
Now, I want to tell you of my first impressions of Frankel because you'll be very interested in that. I'm one of the few people that still are around that have personally studied with him. There again, in a beautifully lit up auditorium, the vision he had in the camps of people listening to him, sitting in comfortably upholstered chairs like a swan, listening to him expounding the truths he had experienced firsthand of the essence of human existence, the defiant power of the human spirit, man's unquenchable will to meaning in life, and that that meaning is there to be found if you reach out for it, like I've already experienced. And from that encounter with Anne, and I wanted to have the proficiency and the skills to be able to transmit and to work with clients and those in need. So what a privilege to be studying with Viktor Frankl. You know, that very first morning, he challenged us with this challenge. He said, imagine you have the privilege or the opportunity to one day visit your own gravestone. What will be written on it? He said, would it be, ah, here lies so-and-so. You know, actually, it's quite a tragedy because this person never really lived. They were so caught up in their problems and the struggles to just survive and find some kind of happiness. They never really lived. What a tragedy. But he said, better than coming to the next one, it says, oh my word, here lies so-and-so. What a horrible person. How cruel. What damage was inflicted by this perpetrator on the lives of others. What hurt he has caused. And then the caption, may he never live again. Wow, do you know how it hit home to me? That we actually, by our own choices, determine our destiny. Because he then challenged us to come to the third gravestone that says, Echo Homo, behold this woman, this man, my word, at sacrifice and cost, yes, and struggling with the issues of their own lives, yes, but look to what heights of human greatness they rose. Look what influence they had on people. Look at the legacy that they leave behind. May they live forever. He said, that's where you must be. You must minister to those who cannot find their way. And you must stand up against the perpetrator and challenge him and bring him to book because that's the only way to speak to a perpetrator is to make him pay for what he did even by jailing or what have you. And many of my students work in prisons and the logotherapy there is very confrontational. Turn and live. Repent and change your ways. You know, Frankel spoke about the Urvertrauen zum Dasein, the basic trust in being that you've got to reestablish in your life 
and that you have to take this, what he called existential umstellung, an existential turn to come to a point, okay, so what now? Is this the life I want to lead? Is this the kind of life I'm satisfied with? Is this the kind of life I'm even proud of? Or am I somewhere very uneasy about it? You know what Frankl said? What man is, he is not yet, but ought to be and should become. This is the challenge. But then he gave another riveting teaching. He said, imagine that your life is like a calendar, you know, and each day on that calendar, you write. You actually are writing in your book of life because you know what? One will have to give an account of how you lived. Uh, the way that you have lived in the end determines how you're going to go out of this life, what Frankl said, with a shout or with a whimper or with great fear in the face of a wasted life. But you want to go out with a well. <laughs> I've done it. And he said, then on that book you say what experiences you had you know, of things that were good and true and beautiful and uplifting and that you were grateful for, encounters that you had that meant something to you. Okay, problems that you faced and you were proud of the way you dealt with them and if you didn't deal with them correctly, that you make a note to go and make it right. He said, live your life as if you're living it a second time and you're about to make the same mistake you did the first time. To get a heightened awareness, you know, Frankl says conscience is the meaning organ that we have. It's a deep consciousness of a need for connection that develops in the child to, and matures to, to a consciousness of responsibility in the end. What is right and what is wrong? And this is at the brink of adulthood. This is what we all, we have to choose how we're going to live our lives. And our choices determine whom we become. What an impression that made on me, especially when he also said, you know, in the past, nothing is irrecoverably lost. It's irrevocably stored. What you've done that is right and good and true, nothing and no one can take away from you. Why? Because it's become part of who you are. That's what you take with you, not your wealth, not your power, <laughs> not your achievements that you put like certificates on the wall. It's who you proved to be. So, wow, now look what life did with me then, going away with this tremendous awareness. First day, so challenged. It was like living waters in a desert that I've been roaming about, you know, sometimes going around the mountain 40 times and not getting an answer to things. That evening, my family phoned from South Africa to tell me that my beloved father had died from a heart attack. You know, I knew that my father was ill. This was part of my anguish when I was doing psychoanalysis to feel that the time was passing. 
I wanted to get somewhere and get there in a way that I could return somehow to South Africa with something I have gained and achieved, you know. I was looking. So, well, well, the shock and the grief. And, you know, the grief was about what? About all the things that I had failed to do, the things I did not do, the acts of omission and the acts of commission, the things that I did that was wrong, that I wish I didn't do. Because I realized that I loved him. And, you know, I fell asleep and I I dreamt that I was writing a letter to my father telling him all of this and how much I loved him. And then I woke up with a painful start with the realization, you know what, he's not going to receive this letter. And then an astounding thing happened. You know, in other podcasts I spoke about Frankl hearing a yes from heaven as to the ultimate meaning of life. I heard a voice. (laughs) It was my father's voice. But before I tell you what he said to me, I just have to tell you that before I left for London, my father gave me a diary. Isn't that terrifically coincidental? A diary, he said, please write in there what I experienced, what you've learned, and when you come back, you can tell it to me. But you know, in all my searchings and falling about and kind of haphazard living and I didn't quite know how, where and what, I didn't write a thing in that diary. It was totally empty. And now especially after what Frankel said that morning about filling in your book of life, is it going to be like an existential vacuum, something empty? Because you know, not not living is another form of abrogating life. So what did I hear? You know, my father's voice was a little bit angry. And this is what he said. Fill up your diary. It was a command. Fill up my diary. And then I had the acute realization that I've got to know where I'm going. And go there. Nothing else would do. I've had enough of this haphazard kind of living. Now I will live my life with awareness and responsibility. Did I know where it was going to take me? No. But as I live my life day by day, accountably, and learning from mistakes and putting them right and becoming more sensitive, look where it led me. to a doctorate with Holocaust survivors on Holocaust survivors to being the first person to bring the theory of Viktor Frankl into the textbooks of psychology in South Africa to start with a colleague of mine the Viktor Frankl Association in South Africa which became the Viktor Frankl Institute later It brought me to where I'm talking to you now. And you know, the greatest satisfaction of my life 
is that I'm speaking a language that is the same language to absolutely everyone, whether it's my Jewish students in Israel, my African, Afrikaans and English students here in South Africa, or my Muslim students in Istanbul. In fact, you know, in in Israel, it's a it's a little bit logotherapy is a little bit like old hat. We know all that kind of thing, but in Istanbul, the students come to life, you know, and they were all clinical psychologists and professional counselors and psychiatrists that all felt, listen, something is amiss from our whole orientation. We're not really getting through to our clients. And we don't really know how. And teaching them logotherapy is like a whole new door open to them into a horizon of greater knowledge, expertise and efficiency that they never had before. And this is a possibility for all of us as we dare to have the courage to live the way we were created and meant to be. Thanks. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.